Some of you may remember me. I used to speak here quite a bit. It's good to be back. Very grateful to Ryan Koppel and John Peters for allowing me to take uh, January off. So thank you guys. Bridge kids, you may be dismissed. Leaders and teachers, thank you for serving us. Today we begin a new five-part series entitled 10 Traits, 10 Traits of a Fully Devoted Follower of Christ. I want to begin by defining some terms. They're pretty easy, but just to be clear for everybody. Uh, so we're talking about 10 traits of a fully devoted follower of Christ. What is a follower of Christ? When I talk about a follower of Christ, I mean a genuine believer in Jesus, one who has placed his or her faith in Jesus for salvation, uh, one who understands that Jesus' death on the cross is the only sufficient ground for uh, our salvation. A follower of Christ is one uh, whom the Bible calls or describes as born again. That's a term that Jesus used. So that's a follower of Christ. What is a fully devoted follower of Christ? That's a good question. And sometimes we use it a lot and maybe don't explain it well. And um, let, allow me to go back to the mission statement of the bridge as we begin. The bridge mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we exist. In fact, I would say this is my personal mission statement. This is why I exist, to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Helping people to connect with God is helping them understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them, that he died on the cross. Helping them understand what we do is we learn to trust God. We place our faith in Jesus who died for us. That's how we get connected to God, and that's how we help people get connected. Is we call it evangelism. The other part is to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. And we want to help people grow as believers. Okay? The key passage is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We look at this a lot, but it's really important. This passage was spoken by Jesus to his disciples, his followers, uh, shortly before he ascended into heaven. This is after his death, after his resurrection. He's about to leave his key guys, the leaders of the church, the church that didn't exist yet. He's about to leave them, and these are his instructions, or we might say these are his marching orders for the church. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The key idea is make disciples of all nations. That's who we go to all nations. We start here, for us it means Eau Claire, and then we go out. Uh, we, we go out, we send people out, we support people who go out, we support missionaries, and, we, and we, that's why missions is so important all over the world for the church. Uh, go, make disciples of all nations. How do you do this? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a very important part of the Great Commission. When, it, when somebody becomes a follower of Christ, one of their first steps that was intended by Jesus is that they be baptized. Not be baptized before they become a follower of Christ. It's a step of obedience after they become a follower of Christ. And it's Christian baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we often forget the promise. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you to the end. But here's what you need to be about. You need to be about helping people connect with God and developing them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Where do we get this concept of full devotion to Christ? It's in verse 20. Jesus said, and teaching them to obey everything. The goal of the Christian life is not to teach people to be smarter. The danger is we teach people to be smarter sinners. That's not what Jesus was about. He wasn't looking for really smart Christians. He was looking for people who obey. Teach them to obey everything. Not just the ones that seem easy or fit you, but teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, so, what does, if our, if our mission is to develop people into fully devoted followers of Christ, what does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? If we're successful, what would a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? If I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ, what does that look like? If you are a fully devoted follower of Christ, what will that look like? So, over the next five weeks, I've identified ten traits, ten uh, character qualities, things that describes, that give a description of a Christ-like character. Ten is not a magic number. There's no reason to limit it to ten. I've picked ten and to help us sort of get a picture of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Maybe there's 20, or maybe there's 30, or maybe there's 16. But these are all descriptors of a mature follower of Christ. So, uh, today, let's, uh, fo- we're going to focus on just two traits. You can thank me that we're not going to do all 10 today. I've probably tried that before. Uh, but today, we're going to focus on two. The first one, a fully devoted follower of Christ has a growing knowledge of the Bible, and is learning to apply it daily. Let's stay with that one just a second. Fully, back up. Thank you. Fully devoted follower of Christ has a growing knowledge of the Bible and is learning to apply it daily. Um, a growing knowledge of the Bible. It, you know, it's going to take you a lifetime. Invest a lifetime in learning about the Bible. And uh, nobody expects you to know everything there is to know. But my question is, is are you growing? Are you, do you know more today than you did six months ago or last year? Are you growing in your understanding? And then are you learning to apply it daily? Now let's go to that question. Why is it important? I'm glad that you asked. And so thank you. And now I want to look at a very important passage, Psalm 19. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And these are going to be on the PowerPoint because I have, we're going to do like a survey of passages this morning and we're going to move quickly for some of those. So um, I'm giving you a little bit of help here so you don't have to look all these passages up. The book of Psalms are written in poetry, poetic form. Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, you need to know that the 
that the writer is intentionally using several different terms to describe God's Word, or we might just say the Bible. When this was written, only part of the Old Testament was written. By application today, we can apply this to all of God's Word, all of Scripture, all of the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. God's Word has a function to refresh your soul, to refresh it, to nourish it, to help it, um, to de-stress it, to feed your soul, to bring refreshment to your soul. The statutes of the Lord, that's another term for God's Word, are trustworthy. You can count on them making wise the simple. God's Word brings wisdom to you and to me. That's why I need to invest in learning about it and applying it to my life. The word for wisdom is, uh, a description is the art of skillful living. It helps me to live and make decisions on a daily basis in a better way. And it comes from God's word. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Precepts is another term that describes God's word. The precepts of the Lord are uh, right, giving joy to the heart. One of, God's, one of the functions of God's word is to bring joy to your heart. I bet you need joy from time to time. There's probably a correlation between our consistency in God's word and the real joy that we experience. No, God didn't intend us to experience joy 24-7. Life was way more complicated, but there ought to be some joy in our lives. And there's a promise of joy that comes with God's word. There's a connection there. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Commands, another word, another description of God's word. Giving light to the eyes, giving perception, giving, giving clarity uh, to our lives, enabling us to see uh, clarity in situations on a regular basis, and it comes in our relationship with God's Word. Next slide. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord, and there's another term for Scripture, God's Word. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous, and they point us to right living. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. You know, gold would have been like the most valuable asset on earth known in the ancient world. And uh, Scripture is more, when you, I think it's really fair to say it this way, Scripture is more valuable than anything on earth. That's not easy to see because we see all kinds of things that are valuable that we wouldn't mind having if we could have them. And we have God's Word. And yet, when we get it, it's more valuable than anything else. Um, verse 11, by them your servant is warned. God's word uh, warns us of, of dangers, of bad choices, wrong decisions. In keeping them, there is great reward. Eternal salvation starts with God's word. Forgiveness comes through God's word. Spiritual nourishment and strength comes through God's word. Promises of heaven come through God's word. And the scriptures say God is intending 
to reward you because of your relationship with his word, because of your growing and your desiring to, to obey scripture. Okay. Um, so you ask, why is this important? Thanks again for asking John 8, 31 and 32. This is Jesus speaking. This is New Testament. This is a thousand years after the book of Psalms. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. So let me just stop there. Jesus says, my teaching. Well, what is that? Yes, it's the words that he taught, the words that he spoke in his own lifetime. But who is Jesus? He is God. By application, this is applicable to all of God's word, holding to all of God's word. Definitely refers to his teaching. And you can go a long way if you just hold to the red letters. Some of you have red letters, some of you don't. Sometimes people use red letters to show what they believe Jesus actually said. By the way, the red letters are no more valuable than the black letters. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, you're the real deal, you are true, genuine followers of Christ, then you will know the truth, you will know it, it'll be personally a part of you, and the truth will set you free. The truth will bring freedom to your life, freedom from sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom from uh, addictive behaviors, freedom from... Uh, the enemy and spiritual bondage and spiritual warfare comes through the power of God's word. Jesus says, if you hold, if you not just, you know, believe it up here, but if you, if you live it, if you embrace it, if it's a part of you, then comes all of this freedom. Why is this important? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 Peter writes, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because they're temporary. They burn up and dry out in the heat. They're, they're, they're beautiful, but they don't last. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And so Peter gives us a promise, and he quotes Isaiah here, the word of the Lord endures forever. It's not just the latest fad. It's not the latest self-help. It's going to endure forever. You can count on it. His promises are last forever. Um, the promises to overcome sin, the promises to overcome death, the promises for forgiveness, the promise which means hell is real and heaven is. Uh, brings and is going to be a place of eternal joy. So in Peter chapter 1, we go right to chapter 2. That's the end of 1 Peter chapter 1. Chapter 2 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And so one of the things that Peter is saying here is, if you're going to embrace God's word, there are some things in your life that need to be removed because a heart that has... Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind is not a good place for God's word to grow. It's not a healthy place. It's going to be blocked. There's going to be a spiritual blockage here. But what he's saying is when we're 
humble before God and we confess our sin, that's one of the things we want to do today because we're going to share a time of communion. It's going to be really important that our hearts are right when we share a time of remembering the death of Jesus because Scripture says, let a man or a woman examine themselves before they share in this time. So to embrace God's word, we, we rid ourselves of these things. Verse 2, like, a new, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like a newborn baby. How often does a newborn baby get hungry for mom's milk? Not very long, is it? There's a place here where uh, Peter is telling the new believers, just like a newborn, get a little grumpy if you don't have what you need to eat. And uh, you should crave God's word. He's telling him, he's pushing them in that direction to desire God's word. Because just like a baby needs milk to grow, he says so that And by pure spiritual milk, what is he talking about? He's talking about God's word. He's using a metaphor for God's word, spiritual milk. So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Um, When you become a follower of Christ, you start with spiritual infancy. I placed my faith in Christ when I was 25 years old, and I was a baby in Christ. I was fresh off of pornography and a whole list of other things. I was a baby, but I wanted to grow. And I, wanted to, I started reading God's word. And it was like pure spiritual milk. And it, it is that part of the process that takes us from infancy through childhood to adulthood. And the goal is maturity in Christ. So why is that important, you say? Thank you. Hebrews 4, chapter 12. For the word of God is alive and active. As a brand new follower of Christ, I love this passage. There's so much here. For the word of God is living and active. God's word is spiritually alive. It's not dead. It's not static. It's not a dusty piece of history. It's a living thing. It's from God. It's alive. It's active. Um, New American Standard says living and powerful. Uh, when you take it into your life, uh, God unleashes a spiritual dynamic to mess with you for good. And it's, it's, it's going to cause you to think. It's going to challenge you. It's going to help you if you want to embrace it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul, spirit, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is, is like the, you know, I think a good metaphor is a surgeon's scalpel in, a, in, a, in the hands of a skilled surgeon. God is a skilled surgeon, and His Word penetrates into our hearts. And how do you, how do you divide the soul and the spirit? Well, you, nobody knows how to do that. But God can do it, but His Word can, can go in and help identify sometimes our attitudes and our motives and our thoughts that we aren't clearly aware of and help surface what's going on inside and, and sort of help us to rebalance, refocus. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, you and I, if we uh, are followers of Christ and we're serious about this, we need to be under the authority of God's word. 
and allow God's word to judge us. You know, God isn't trying to make you feel guilty all the time. That may be your attitude because you sort of have an unhealthy view of Scripture. But God, God wants to uh, build us and strengthen us and nourish us and help us to be all that we can be. And there's a place where I just need to submit to the authority of God's Word. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Very close connection between God's Word and God's sight and, and God overseeing this. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give a, an account. Good reminder, one day we'll see Jesus face to face. And uh, how, how, when we face God's Word, what do we do with it? Do we ignore it? Do we embrace it? Do we try to grow? Do we ask God for help? So you say, why is this important? And I say, let's look at Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. In fact, though by this time, so here's the situation with the Hebrews. Um, he, the Hebrew writer was writing to a group of people who had gotten stunted in their spiritual growth. They should have been more mature than they are right now. And they should have, they've been believers for years and they've kind of stopped growing. And he has some uh, firm words right here. In fact, by this time, you, you ought to be teachers. You've been Christians long enough that you could stand up and teach other people. You ought to be, there are a lot of people you can teach. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need to go back to the basics because you've been a believer, but you, you've not been growing. You need milk, not solid food. Solid food is a reference to more difficult spiritual things, more difficult doctrines, teachings of the Bible, things that are harder to understand. We start with the basics, but we need to grow because some things in life are quite complex. Anyone who lives on milk, the simple food, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so uh, we need God's word as spiritual food to grow and to mature. And the more we handle this book, the more we uh, understand it and, and uh, take it into our lives, we are training our spiritual senses to discern good and evil. Sometimes we just discern very poorly. We walk into life and make decisions with, with very little discernment. And God's word gives us the ability to discern it trains our senses. And I wonder why this is important. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul writes, all scripture, that means God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. So God's word has this function of giving us information, instructing us, teaching us. It can offer us correction when we need it. It can rebuke us. That's a strong way of uh, getting our attention. And um, it trains us, trains us. Training is repetition, repetition, practice, practice, practice in righteousness. Why? So that... If you are a follower of Christ and a servant of God, you could be thoroughly equipped for everything God wants you to do, for every good work. Um, equipped, uh, outfitted, 
supplied with everything that you need. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Remember the book of Psalms is poetic. Psalm 119 is the, is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. And uh, it's really a prayer. And we have a portion of it here in verses 33 through 37, Psalm 119, a prayer for understanding. So think of this as a prayer for understanding. You want to understand God's word. You can pray and ask the author of the book to help you understand. Here's a, an example. This is David, and he's asking God, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees. Another way to describe God's word. He's asking God to teach him. He knows he needs. David knew a lot about the Bible. But he's asking God to teach him. It's a prayer that I may follow it to the end. David wants to follow. It's not easy all the time. And he's asking God to, to show him how, to teach him how. Verse 34, give me understanding so that I may keep your law. He's praying for understanding, and the law, again, refers to God's word. That I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. David wants to be a fully devoted follower of God. He wants to keep God's commands with all his heart. And he prays, verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. He's saying, God, Sometimes I, I don't choose to come back to your word. Direct me. Bring me back to, your, to the scripture. Because that's where I find delight. Next slide. Turn my heart toward your statutes. And I love this when I pray this. Because sometimes I need God to almost grab my head and bring me to scripture. Turn me. I need direction sometimes. And David prays, turn my heart toward your statutes, toward God's word, and not to selfish gain, not to be self-reliant, not to be self-centered, because sometimes I just drift into that. That's just normal for me, to become self-reliant. And then he prays, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I watch television, I see all those things that I need, and boy, wouldn't that be great? And I can think about those things. Man, I wonder if we should buy some of these things. I wonder what's on sale. And I can get distracted. Now, yeah, sure, I need, we need, there are things that we need to operate in life, but we can waste a lot of time worrying about things that we don't have. And David says, turn my eyes away from worthless things, things that don't have value eternally, and preserve my life according to your word, according to Scripture, according to God's word. That's a prayer. All 176 verses are a prayer. Sometimes I just like to sit down and go through the whole thing and just pray this scripture back to God. Try it. So, fully devoted follower of Christ has a growing knowledge of the Bible and is learning to apply it because it refreshes your soul. It brings wisdom. It brings joy to the heart. It gives daily discernment. It points to right living. It is more valuable than anything on earth. It both warns and brings us great reward. It brings freedom from sin and sinful behaviors. It will uh, stand forever. It enables uh, us to grow spiritually to maturity. It 
uh, brings careful evaluation to our lives. It is living and active and powerful, and it trains us to distinguish good from evil, and it equips us for everything that God wants us to do. If you're just looking for benefits, those aren't bad. So, here's what I want to tell you. Finding time for God's Word is essential for a fully devoted follower of Christ. And I know that I've done it all. There are times where we, we know it's important and we let it go. And uh, we come back periodically. I just want to just get back into it now. If, if you're disconnected from God's Word or haven't been at it regularly, come back to it now. Uh, the experts tell us it takes 21 days to start a new habit. 21 days in a word. Pretty profitable to get you in the right direction. But I don't want to be legalistic. You don't have to do 21 days in a row. Great if you do. How about being regular? And you decide what that means. But you're back into the word. If you're, if you're not accustomed to the Bible, I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of John. Where you read is really important when you're new to the Bible. One of the best places to start is the Gospel of John. Learn about Jesus. The story of Jesus. Stay in the New Testament until you get to the New Testament. Then go back to the Old Testament. So many times people say, nope, I want to read the Bible left to right. I want to start on page one. I want to go all the way through it. That's a great thing to do. But some of that Old Testament is really, really hard to understand without Jesus. Because that's where it's all headed and that's what it's all about. But you don't see it early. And there's a, there's a whole reason why the Old Testament has the, the these and or the, all the uh, begats and where everybody came from and they kept a record of the families because they were, they were keeping track of where the Messiah was going to come from, Jesus. That's not going to make a lot of sense to you until you understand who Jesus is first. Okay. Secondly, a fully devoted follower of Christ practices regular spiritual disciplines. And boy, I better go through this part fast. A fully devoted follower of Christ practices regular spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are spiritual practices that you do to help you grow as a Christian. There are things, there are, there are activities that you can do to help you grow and to do it intentionally. The purpose of spiritual disciplines comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4. You've heard me talk about this a lot. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, train yourself to be godly. And that's enough right there. Train yourself to be godly. So there's a responsibility that every Christ follower has to train yourself. There's a part that I have. My job is to teach. And the, uh, there's a very significant value for you to come to, and be involved in the church at public and corporate worship and be involved in the teaching of the Word of God. And you can learn in small groups and growth groups, and they're very, very important. But there is a place where you must take responsibility for your life as it relates to spiritual disciplines. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Sometime back, right after Noah got off the ark, I played high school football. And... And uh, we started football in Iowa on August 20th every year. It was hot. It was usually in the 80s, 
maybe high 80s. And every day we came to football practice and we had to be on the field, which was about six blocks from the locker room at 8 a.m., ready to go. We started with calisthenics and then we did agility drills and then we ran wind sprints and then we did skill um, activities and then we did things like running basic plays and we did various things and then we came back at the end of the practice two hours later and we ran wind sprints and did agility drills and then we ran six blocks back to the locker room and took a shower and went home so we could be back at two o'clock to do it again we started at two o'clock in the afternoon and we did calisthenics and agility drills and wind sprints and skill activities more plays, more wind sprints. And we did that day after day after day until we got to Labor Day, and we did it three times on Labor Day because we had a scrimmage under the lights at night. Practice, practice, practice. That's what you do. That's how you get better. That's how you get stronger. That's how you develop endurance, practice. That's how you get good at anything. And that's what spiritual disciplines are. It's something you practice. It's not... I didn't go to football because I felt like going to football. Do I feel like going at, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? It's now 90 degrees. I've already practiced two hours. No. I wanted to be a part of the bigger thing. I wanted to be a part of the team. I wanted to do well. I wanted to be at my best. Did it hurt sometimes? Did I sacrifice? Absolutely. Was I disciplined? Yes. There's so much I've learned from athletics about the spiritual life and I need to be disciplined in my spiritual life I need to practice things sometimes do I feel like reading the Bible every day I mean how do I feel I feel like taking a nap you know I feel like another cup of coffee or but no you develop the habit it's important and I do it I don't care how I feel today and it's not all bad but that's how you do discipline do you always feel like praying? No, you don't always feel like praying. But it's important. That's why we do it. Okay. Let's keep going. Got a lot to, got to do. So the practices. That's the purpose. Now the practices. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Next. Do we have it? Studying God's word. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly handles the word of truth. So I don't need to go through all those passages that I always already went through about God's word, but studying God's word is a spiritual discipline, okay? It's something you practice and practice and practice. Why? So you can handle God's word, so you can handle the word of truth, so you understand it, so you can pass it on, so, you, so you're accurate, so you're correct in the way you deal with God's word. Another uh, practice, another spiritual uh, discipline is memorizing God's word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? This is great for teenagers and 20-somethings and the rest of us, all of us. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. There's God's word again. I seek you with all my heart. Do, here's the prayer. Do not let me stray from your commands. God's word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
So David says, he prays this, and David says, I have hidden your word in my heart. It means he memorized it. It means that he knew it well. It means that he could recall it. And when he was tempted with sin, he was reminded of what God said. And he can, even by recalling it at that point and being able to state it on the spot, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to follow God's instructions here. So memorizing scripture is one of those practices, hiding God's word in your heart. Uh, this is what Jesus did in Matthew 4. You may know he was tempted by Satan, and Satan came at him, and Satan quoted the scripture. You know, you're going to trip up Jesus. What does Jesus do? Well, Jesus quotes scripture back. Well, he wasn't carrying a Bible, and he didn't come to earth with the Bible in his head. As a human being, he learned it the same way you and I learn, is he memorized scripture himself growing up. He didn't have a computer. He wasn't distracted with the computer either. He memorized it, and he quoted it. And not only was it powerful, it kept Jesus on task, but in the end, um, Satan yielded to Jesus and the power of God's word right in his face. The spoken word, very powerful. A third uh, practice is praying. So we've looked at studying God's word, memorizing God's word, and praying. Colossians 4.2, well-known passage. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, prayer is about talking to God. I can't teach all there is to know about prayer here. You know a lot about prayer. Prayer demonstrates our dependence uh, our, uh, on God. It shows humility and trust when we pray. God talks to us in his word. He speaks to us. He communicates to us. And now we get to talk back. We get to bring our lives back to God. We respond back to God with prayer. Um, and the scripture says, devote yourselves to pray. It means continually stick with it. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Uh, expect God to answer. And it's one of those things we practice, we practice, we practice. It helps us grow. We become more mature. We learn more about God. We learn about how he operates. We learn about ourselves. And we see God at work. Another passage on prayer is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, well known. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, practice Practice, practice. When stress comes, when anxiety comes, it's a tip-off. Oh, probably should pray about this. That stressor, I need to present this for, to God. And it's an amazing thing. It says prayer, petition, that means be specific, say it, what you need. With thanksgiving, keeps your attitude appropriate, present your request to God. And then there's this promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. Well, if I know something about life, if something will guard my heart from stress and anxiety, that's a tremendous answer to prayer. And oftentimes we're just focused on what I want, what do I want. God didn't give me what I want. What if God guards your heart and your mind, removes the anxiety, helps you to see clearly, think clearly, and walk with Him through whatever you have to face? I'm going to jump to fasting, number four. 
We're going to skip the Hebrews passage. We're jumping to fasting. Matthew 6, teen. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. So Jesus said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, uh, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head. I usually just, you know, put some kind of cream on my head so it shines. But that's the idea. There are no commands in the Bible to fast. Or there are no commands in the New Testament for a Christian to fast. So this is, I'm not trying to put something on you. There are commands in the Old Testament, different times that God's people were commanded to fast. No command in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus said, when you fast. He assumed his followers would fast from time to time. And the great thing is, it's your choice. There's no rule here about making you feel guilty that you should do this if you're going to be a good Christian. It's something you can choose to do. You know, fasting is about saying no to your physical needs. It's about saying no to food sometimes, but it's your choice when sometimes people do one meal, sometimes people do a, a daytime or 24 or 48, three days, seven days. Jesus did 40 days. Sometimes people do that. I would just suggest try it, something. Try short, try easy. The idea is when I'm hungry, I want to focus on spiritual things. I'm reminded that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what I'm reminded of. I found that very beneficial over the years. From time to time, I will fast. I usually do it kind of a 36-hour, go one day without food until the next breakfast. And um, I've found that it's, it helps me. It re, helps me recalibrate, helps me get focused on what's important. Um, it's a big issue for self-control. I can say no to a lot of things. I can say no to food. I can say no to just about anything. I see that. I know that's it works. And uh, it's not. It's about living with spiritual vitality. It's not about just powering up and how tough am I? That's not what it's about. It's just about learning to turn to God for His strength. You know, when I'm physically weak, boy, do I know I need God. When I get hungry, I start thinking about food and I start feeling weak. And I know I need God. So try it. The next one is being silent, Psalm 4610. He says, Be still and know that Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And um, here's just a time where God says and people are kind of getting nervous and they're kind of getting noisy and agitated and they're worried about a lot of different things and God just says be still stop I want you to pay attention I want you to know that I am God there's a place sometimes we need to be quiet before God sometimes we need to be silent Silence often goes with solitude. Sometimes I need to be alone. You know, I need to get away from noise. I need to get away from my computer. If there's, get away from music. Get away from people because and sometimes this is really hard, especially for young moms. How do you get away from people, little people? But there are times when you can do this. And sometimes it's 30 minutes or an hour. Sometimes you could do a half a day. Or a whole day. I've had times where I've gotten away for three days or a week. 
and, and gone to a college and stayed in a dorm room without any air conditioning in July. It was very, very profitable. Now, you may not be, be able to do that, but one of the best things we did with groups in the past is half a day in prayer and a half a day of being alone and, and um, really a good exercise. So it's a practice, being silent. Sometimes we use the term quiet time. It can mean a lot of different things, but the idea is calming the noise, having a peaceful time in your relationship with God. It can be a time to read. It can be a time to pray. Number six, giving God praise and thanksgiving. And this is really about personal worship. Um, I'll quickly go through three more passages and we're done. Um, John 4, 23. This is why. Yet a time is coming, Jesus said, and has now come. He spoke to the woman at the well. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And what I wanted you to see here is God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking true worshipers who worship Him according to truth, according to Scripture, and according to Spirit. Holy Spirit empowered means you need to be a believer. God is seeking true worshipers. And that's what He told the woman at the well. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice is an, is an act of worship. And in the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices and meal sacrifices. But here, this is a sacrifice of praise. It's praising God for who he is and what he's done. This is an act of worship. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. It's the byproduct of our speech, giving praise to God. It's an act of worship. It can be a spiritual practice. I need to think about, what do I, I can praise God. I can do it privately and silently. I don't have to go around saying praise God to everything that happens because sometimes I think that's a vain repetition. It's empty. Sometimes I think people overuse things. But you can praise God personally and privately when, when you see him do something. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The Apostle Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, whenever Paul speaks of prayer, he often comes and includes thanksgiving. But giving thanks is one of those disciplines. You have to think about it. it. Be intentional to thank God when you see him at work, when he provides for you, when he enables you, when he gives you good health, when he watches over your family, when you get your paycheck. Give thanks it's a spiritual practice, and it reminds us of who God is and who we are. So, a fully devoted follower of Christ practices regular spiritual disciplines. Um, we started with God's Word because, really, God's Word is where we find the basis for everything, because it's the truth. And everything, spiritual disciplines, and everything we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead are all based in Scripture, in God's Word. The ten traits of a fully devoted follower are there. Um, so train yourself to be godly. This is a list of disciplines. The list is not exhaustive. There are more things that people have done and written about. I wanted to mention, ladies, that the book that the Thursday night group is going to do, the, the women's small group, growth group, it's called Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life. It's all about what I just talked about. 
and a few others. This is going to be a really good uh, study. Um, so, um, I, just, I would like you to know that God's word is amazing. It really is. And that's how we learn who God is and what, uh, how to have a relationship with him, um, how to navigate difficult situations in life, how to make choices, how to please God. And we all need to practice. Spiritual disciplines are for everybody. It's not just a few people. These are just practices that help us to grow, to keep, to keep growing. We're going to, uh, as late as it is, we're going to celebrate communion. And uh, we're going to take a time to remember Jesus and his death on the cross. I'm going to ask the uh, men who are going to serve communion to please come forward. And we should have a few guys lined up here. And when we take, we're going to take the bread and the cup. The bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ. And the cup is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. And it's about his death. It's about his death for you and for me. And periodically, God just wants us to stop and remember. Remember who you are, where you came from, who God is, what he's done for you. And our response to him is, thank you, God. Scripture says that we should examine ourselves. I hope you will think about this. We have an opportunity if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It's a responsibility we have. I want to thank God. And um, when you're ready, you can come up. We're going to have a station on on each side and uh, you can take the bread and the cup and then walk back to your seat and you you can partake whenever you want. Let me pray. Father, we want to give you thanks today. Thank you for your word. Thank thank you for what we know about you and we know about the Christian life. We want to thank God for sending your son Jesus for his death on the cross for us. This morning as we come to this time, we thank you for the bread that reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice for us, that reminds us of his body that was nailed to the cross. The spear was thrust into his side. That he bled to death for us. He gave himself for us. He died so we wouldn't have to face spiritual death, but that we could receive forgiveness and have eternal life. Thank you for the bread that reminds us of this. We thank you for the cup that reminds us of his blood that was shed. We're grateful for what Jesus has done for us. May we live our lives in response to this gift that you've given us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the bread and the cup. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name. Amen.